Welcome to the Core Women Podcast. My name is Dr. Summer Watson. I'm a doctor of psychology, podcaster, published author, coach, producer of documentary empowerment films, and empowerment seminars. This podcast is a special place for the hearts and souls of women. It is a place where women share their journeys, strength, resiliency, strategy, and passions. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Sarah Patterson, who has a 15-year history in healthcare, technology, financial services, fitness, compliance, forensics, intelligence, and more. After years of education and professional experience, she started SP Global Consulting, now known as Value Integrators. We have so much to talk about here, Sarah. Let's get right into it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about your background, being raised by a registered nurse and U.S. Army Research Lab engineer, and how your parents impacted your life. Okay, yeah. So growing up in a house um, with an engineer and a nurse, um, it was definitely a safe place. I definitely had a very safe home, a, a place by which that um, I was allowed to go explore outside and play in the woods. Um, definitely a place by which that I was empowered to do a lot of projects with my dad. So there was a lot of home projects that we would do. So we replaced a roof. We built a computer. I also did a lot of work with my mom. So it was a place by which that I learned engineering and project skills at a very young age. And I would also learn a lot from my mother about how to really just coordinate and to really organize um, the family and friends to do trips. We would go camping and we also would travel across the country in a big van. And we really had the opportunity to go explore and to journey from state to state as we please. We always had a, a soft plan, but we also were allowed to have spontaneity in those trips and to just really experience the day by day world and we really lived in the present and so I really I'm very grateful and I feel privileged to be able to have such a good family and home to have grown up in you know my father worked for the U.S. Army Research Lab for over 50 years and you know I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that his father volunteered in World War II and was a combat engineer unfortunately he was killed but he just really grew up in that environment of just giving back to a country by which that he wanted to create a safe place, a safe place to have freedom and to be able to really live in a quality of life that we can all try to give to us all. And, you know, my mom was a nurse. She just loved us. So I grew in a home that was just full of love. So I'm really grateful. And, uh, I, I wish, and I hope that for everybody else as well, which is kind of why I feel like I am propelled to help with the homeless because I really want to be able to give that to others. Right. We'll definitely get to that. So it sounds like you just, you have so much experience. They've really exposed you to a lot of different things. You came from a home that was very nurturing. Wow. That just sounds like a great experience. So we're going to go to, as I said, in our introduction, you've done so many things. So can you touch on some of the areas of interest that you've been involved with over the years and why these are of interest to you? Okay, thank you. So why did I go into business? Because most of my career 
for over the last 15 years has been in business. And business is just a wide category. I mean, there's just so many areas that you can get involved with. It was really because when I went to undergrad at University of Florida, I went into that school not really knowing what I wanted to do. So I took the advice of my mom. I went into business. She just said, you'll be good at it. And I said, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I went into business because when you're 18, you really not everybody knows what they want to do. Unfortunately, my parents knew what they wanted to do. My mom knew she was always going to be a nurse. And my dad always knew he was going to be an engineer. I did not. I was very much multifaceted. I played every sport. I you know, tried everything out. I was just a person that explored and, and liked to do everything. So when I went into undergrad, I basically went in with an open mind and I went into business school and I got a finance degree because I felt as though, well, I'm good with math. And I felt as though everybody needs to know budget and finance. You know, that's something that's a skill that I'll always need. So whether or not I really pursue that in a career or not, I think it would be a skill that I would benefit from for the rest of my life. So I went into school um, and I got my finance degree and that kind of just led into the trajectory of my early career. I went back home to Maryland and got my first job. And ironically enough, I got my first job from an executive at a construction company because he was best friends with my parents and he know he's known me my entire life. I grew up with him and his family. And it's interestingly enough, when I was a kid, I used to clean their house. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> it's, it, it's really interesting. You know, it's like, how did you get your first job out of school? Well, you know, I used to clean their house. <laughs> so, right. um, yeah, it was just, I got my first job that way. And obviously I had the, I had the education and the hard work. And, you know, so I went, when I went into the company, you know, I excelled very quickly. And um, I actually had an internship there too while I was in school. So they got to know me. So anyway, so I went into accounting uh, for a construction firm. And after about a year there, I realized that that was going to be it. And I was just so much more ambitious than that. And so I kindly just stepped away after a year because nothing was going to change. There was really no innovation. It was just pretty much going to be process as usual for the next five years. And so when I had that conversation with the controller, at the firm, I said, look, I've got to go because I just have so much passion and motivation and innovation in my heart to bring out that I can't do here. So I went into a, a up and coming health and life sciences company. And that's where really I just, I pursued my finance operations career. And that's where I got involved into tech. So when we were in finance ops, we had to know tech. We managed a massive database because we didn't really trust IT at the time. We didn't right. trust IT with our data to then be the underpinning of the financials of a million-dollar firm that was growing within years to be a $3 billion company. So we just didn't trust them. I mean, and it, it was just the nature of what was going on at the firm at the time. So finance took it upon themselves to manage the data. We managed the data and um, that really derived all of the revenue and derived the expenses paid out. So yeah, so that's kind of how my career developed into finance and into tech. And I realized as that company grew so fast because that pharmacy benefit management firm really grew with the industry. The industry started in the 80s and then it grew rapidly in the 90s and the early 2000s. 
And that company grew with the industry explosion. And basically my career grew with that. And then I then realized after working there for about five years, I wasn't going to move up in the industry. I wasn't going to really have any opportunity anywhere else that I wanted. So I went back to grad school because I really wanted to learn all the different aspects of business because I was really narrow and I was niched focus. Like I was really an expert, a domain experience. Like I just knew everything in that little domain and niche. And I was like, well, there's just so much more out there. I want to expand my horizons. And so I went back to grad school and, um, that's when I went to university, university of Maryland. And that is where I got my MBA. And when I was getting my MBA, I learned about all the aspects of business, the different industries. And I also was able to meet a ton of really beautiful, professional, excellent people in the classroom that I was never exposed to when I worked at a company. Because when I worked at that company for years, I, that was my community. And so the MBA really broadened my horizons. And so then in, towards the end of my MBA, I started getting involved really heavily in the entrepreneurship program there. So University of Maryland is really known for their Dingman Center. And that is where they really bring a lot of startups to pitch their businesses to the angel investors. They build them up also within that space. And that's really where my heart to build a business was basically brought about. You know, when I was a kid and I was cleaning my parents' friends' houses, because um, I just loved to clean. I know, oddly enough, that's weird, <laughs> but I just loved to clean. And I think it's because I liked to make things better. I was big on process improvement. I loved to organize. I would organize my mother's purse. I would just organize everything in front of me. So that's kind of what I do now in firms. I, or I organize them. I get them efficient. And so... You know, basically what happened is when I, I remember I was cleaning a house when I was a kid and I said, I want to create a cleaning company. So fast forward decades later, I'm getting my MBA and as I'm wrapping it up, I'm like, I want to start a business, you know? And at the time I wasn't, you know, an, an expert in cleaning. I was an expert in business and helping other businesses succeed. So that's what I decided. I said, I'm going to create a business to help other businesses succeed with what I'm good at right now and with, a, with what I'm educated to do for them. And so I started a company in Maryland called SP Global Consulting. And that was the inception. It was like the fall of 2011. And then I started working with some small companies and, you know, it started to work. But then I got recruited by a, a colleague that I'd met at a entrepreneurship conference at the University of Virginia, and he recruited me into a healthcare company. And I could not stay away from the opportunity because the opportunity was with SureScripts, which is the leading and only e-prescribing uh, company that has all of the electronic prescription data in the nation that's processed through that company. And so they were giving me such an opportunity in healthcare that I couldn't say no to. And I felt as though that actually has really helped me to bring a lot of my expertise um, into healthcare companies today because of that experience and working there because I was really able to learn the healthcare industry and how it's been shaped and how government has really shaped the industry as well and who are the players and how did they grow up 
into being the, the mature firms that they are today, not only by their innovation, solving the problems that we have in healthcare, but also by how government has influenced and shaped the industry as well. So I went and worked there for a while. Then I moved to New York. Once I moved to New York, I then realized that I needed to go start consulting for other firms. And so in New York, you just have so much access to top talent, to executives, to firms. Within a second, you can go have a cup of coffee with an executive and then you can go to your job. So it's very easy there to build because everything's just faster, quicker, more convenient. Because as you know, I think there's like 12,000 people per square foot in New York, or there were at least before COVID-19. And so really, you just really can build fast there. And so um, I was networking and I worked for a couple other consultant firms to learn the ins and outs of a consulting firm before I started one myself, or at least to restart the one I had started in 2011. And I worked for other consulting firms. And then somebody that had met me through that networking had asked me to be um, an independent project manager at one of the top firms in New York for a financial institution called Fitch Ratings. And they are the similar companies to them is S&P and mm-hmm. Moody's, which you guys are probably familiar with. There's only three top ones um, here in the US. So it's been a really good journey. And then so since then, I've just been working with companies doing independent consulting for them. And then I moved over to uh, Los Angeles. I moved across the country because when I was younger in my early 20s, I said, you know, I, I always wanted to live in New York and California because I had traveled there with friends. And I felt I wanted to expand my horizons and kind of just go to those places and experience those places and to really bring my uniqueness there. And yeah, it was just more of the exploratory personality that I have. And so I wanted to go across the country and I moved here. I brought the, I brought the business with me and I've been working here predominantly in healthcare and uh, fitness and wellness. And, um, you know, I've just developed it in more of to a business by which that we bring other project managers in on the contracts to really serve our client needs. Okay. So let me just touch on a few things because you've mentioned so much that is of such value. So You've touched on things throughout your journey. So we went from your personal journey to your professional journey. And some of the things you've touched on, which I think are really important to point out here, is you have the insight. So you had insight when you knew that you wanted to pivot. You wanted to change. You wanted to Mm -hmm. make a difference. So that's really important. So you have the insight. You have the drive, the investment. Like you put yourself into it. You invested in yourself by going back for an MBA. You had skills, organizational skills, which you learned early on from cleaning houses. You had strategies in relation to cleaning houses. And you made me laugh because when you said you like to clean purses, clean out purses, and you even... (laughs) I, I have a brother who actually does that. He's like, let me clean your purse. <laughs> and every time he does it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I know you like to organize, but to that degree. So, <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, people do. And here's the big thing. You had the courage. You had the courage to change. You had the courage to pivot. You had the courage to move. You had the courage to develop yourself and something that you wanted, something that you wanted to create. And I think these are all really, really important aspects that people need to hear 
because I think sometimes we forget that. And, and what, one other thing that you mentioned too is mentorship and internship. And so you did seek that out. You did seek out the support. So there's so many things here mm -hmm. that you mentioned that are so important because I think people forget we go through a process and there is insight, there is development, there is strategy. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens with action. And you made this happen. And it's so exciting to hear somebody excited about what they've developed and how they've come about their journey. So my next question is, give some insight about specific ideas about how you strategize and you work with your clients. Okay, so what we typically do is we really diagnose the problem that our clients are having. So really understanding their pain, really understanding their needs and objectives, because we really have to understand what a company is trying to do. So we really have to understand the mission, you know, and really understanding what it is that they're offering their clients. And then we also need to understand really their pain and their needs and what is going on within the organization at the highest level, middle, and also low. Because and it's not low, but at the ground, because right. really there's all those aspects of a company that will really create either a big problem or that they really have a huge requirement in order to get them to their future state, which is going to help them to be able to fulfill their promises to also fulfill their goals and objectives. And so really we help clients to fulfill their promises and we help them to reach their goals and objectives. So how we strategize is really first we have to understand all of that. We have to understand that because if we don't know their goals and objectives, we might be giving the wrong advice and we might not know the right types of questions to ask. So in our strategy sessions, we go through a series of questions and I am on the whiteboard pretty much the entire time. And so a lot of times we're on the whiteboard and I'm asking a series of questions and I'm drawing out a landscape. I'm drawing out what is going on in a current state. And that's all based on questions I'm asking the client. And those are typically um, sometimes the executives, sometimes it's, you know, operations, and sometimes it's really the, sub the, the subject matter experts. And it could be all of them. It could be one or two. It just depends on that um, client and the specific task that we are charged with. And so I will ask them a ton of questions and really map out the current state, also map out a lot of the pain, the requirements, and then take all that in and then map out a future state. And that goes through a series of workshops in order to come up with the final state. And we also publish that out to the peers in the company to make sure that they are understanding what we've mapped out and also can bring feedback and also their ideas. So it's very much in collaboration, but we definitely drive the whole process of it. And it's not cookie cutter, unfortunately. I think that that's why, you know, companies work with consultants because they need to have a person with critical thinking, with problem solving capabilities, with innovation within them. And just like you said, you have a ton of experience 
you've you know lived all over the world and you've experienced so much so you draw on all of that and you bring innovation you bring solutions to your clients and so that's what we do we bring solutions to them based on a variety of education experiences um, and just professional background and expertise to be able to solve their unique problems and to be able to reach their requirements and you know a lot of times we also will recommend technology we'll rec we will recommend new processes um, but all of that is very it's, it's custom it's not cookie cutter because the typical organizations that we work with are mid to large size and so at that point they are differentiated they've proven themselves they have a offering that they give to their customers and we want to make sure that that offering remains strong, remains unique, and remains valuable to their customers. And so anytime we solve a problem and we help them to reach their goals, we need to keep that in mind. Right. I love that. I love that you, first of all, do some qualitative work and you get the story to give you a better idea of what's happening within that construct. You do a needs assessment, so you draw out from these people what their needs are, what their goals are, and then you create a storyboard of sorts, and you're up there on the whiteboard, and here you are creating, creating, creating to provide support and solution. And I love that each of the people that you work with gets something that's unique. Yeah, and so, and so just to touch on that, so that's mostly all the workflow optimization that's going from current state to a future state. But what we do is we also bring in strategy into the project delivery. So a lot of times we need to figure out, okay, how is the project going? So if we're coming into a project that's already started and we're rescuing or we're helping them to accelerate to completion, uh, we basically have to also understand the project and the scope, the time and the cost. And we do a lot of strategy and how we get things done. And there's levers within project delivery that can be pulled one way or the other to be able to reach their goals and objectives. So sometimes, right. you know, so there's a lot of strategy in that, but it's based on certain elements of the project delivery that we can pull on. And we can push and pull on to basically be able to reach their goals and what success looks like for them. So right. sometimes clients can say, hey, we can take a year to get this done, but we only have so much budget to do this. So we'll strategize to be able to achieve that. Um, also, sometimes clients are like, we need to get this done quickly. So we know that we have a constraint with time but we have the capital to be able to get this done fast. And so we can bring resources from the outside to be able to accelerate. And, um, and then there's scope. There's always, how can we look at scope? You know, can we, do we have to do all of this at once or can we break it up into sub projects? What does mm -hmm. quality, quality is a big factor as well. What does quality look like? What does quality mean to the company? And so those are all definitions that need to be done early on. And that then is drawn upon. And that will also be a big part of how the strategy is developed to be able to achieve that. And so when I worked on an investigation in Brazil, one of the largest ones, we strategized throughout the investigation to meet the demands of the investigation. And when you're investigating, you don't know what you're going to find. 
So it's not cookie cutter. So we were charged with doing this investigation. But then as we developed, you know, we developed the scope, the timeline, the cost. And as we moved through the investigation, we, I mean, there was challenges. I mean, sometimes we would go and grab the information from a company and we would find there was an issue. So we had to go back and go repool the information from the company to be able to investigate the data. And so there was challenges and there was unforeseen things that just came up. And so that's all part of the plan. But sometimes there's things that they put a huge wrench in your plan. So we had to always strategize about how to overcome them and also to strategize on workflow optimization as new information and events occurred throughout the investigation. So a lot of that is also brought into that strategy, that methodology is brought into our engagements um, today. So it's, it's brought into every engagement that we go to. Well, I can appreciate all of what you're saying, especially when you're looking at scope, you're looking at timelines, you're looking at below the goal are the objectives. And when you're going through all of this, as you said, there's always times where you're going to find that something's not as expected. You found things, you, you opened up a can of worms, so to speak, and things happened and they unfold differently than what your expectations might be. So how do you cope through that? Not just as individuals, but as a company, how do you cope through that? How do you transition? And how is a company resilient, so to mm -hmm. speak? You know, and so that all takes strategy. So I love the strategy that you offer here and how you work with clients. I think it's fabulous. So. Now, let me get to my next question because we've went from your personal, professional, and now you also give back. You're involved with community and how your community responds to issues related to homelessness. Tell us a little bit about this and your involvement. Sure, so this is actually really deep in my heart. When I was in New York, living and working on Wall Street, I didn't really understand homelessness because I grew up in a very small town. And then I went to school and worked in the area of a community that really didn't have homelessness. So when I was in New York, I discovered it and I saw it and it was very real and it was very, it was very hard to see and it was living right around me. And so one day I'm just walking down the street and I see this poor man just passed out face planted on the cement on this small walkway in New York as I'm walking to work. And I just, I wanted to stop so bad. I wanted to stop so bad and help him. And I just couldn't believe that nobody was stopping to help him. And I felt, I was like, would this have happened 50 years ago? I was like, what has happened in our society? Why are we not stopping to help? Well, I mean, there's safety concerns there, right? We need to be safe. We don't know if the person's dangerous or they're ill or they're sick. So I understand why people don't stop, but my heart was saying, no, that's wrong. We should help. And so that's where the burden in my heart developed. And then since then, I haven't really looked back. So since then, I've just really made it part of my everyday life to be involved and in helping with the homelessness because I feel as though life can hit us, any of us, in any which way. Any of us could be out on the street the next day because a series of events could occur in our life that just sends us into homelessness. And we find that to be prevailing actually here in California, where there's just a lot of people that are getting put out of work and they are getting put out of their homes very quickly. And some of these people are even people that you would never even think. Um, the meetings that I've been to here in LA are people talking about these stories and 
They were business owners. They were people that were on boards of their community. And all of a sudden there was a divorce, there was an illness, and then their business was not doing well. And then they're out on the street. And so, you know, and it's also folks that are mentally ill, people that need to have the support and the medical attention that our institutions might not have the resources or the time to help. And so homelessness, I'm not a complete expert on it, but homelessness, from what I understand, really started to, to increase when they shut down some of the funding for mental institutions. I think it was mm -hmm. back in the 80s. I can't be sure on that, but nice. they put a lot of people out on the streets. And I believe that's even happening right now with the pandemic is that they're releasing people out of institutions and prison and so forth because they're trying to prevent them from getting sick. But what's also happening is they're putting them out on the streets and where are they going to go? Homelessness, there's so many reasons why it can happen. But my heart is, is that I don't believe that people should be outside of the home because when you're outside of the home for a long period of time, it is mentally and emotionally and physically traumatizing. I go volunteer on Skid Row, which is the largest area in the country of homelessness. I believe there's something, the, the numbers change, but it's something around 75,000 in that area, I believe. And it's growing. And wow. homelessness has increased, I think it's like 12% in Los Angeles County in the last year. And there was record increases in Reseda um, alone. And you know what that does is it not only hurts humans, their lives, it also hurts business, it hurts families, community of life, because what that does is it lowers the socioeconomic climate of our country and of the areas by which that we live. And so I feel as though it's, you know, it's, it's definitely something that everybody should be concerned about. Not everybody is called to help with it, but those that are, you know, I really believe that we need to support them and, and help them to be able to solve homelessness. And, you know, I just, I really feel like human life is very precious. It's very important. And I believe that, you know, it's important to go help those that are in danger. And when you're not in a home or you don't have a home that you can call home, that's dangerous. Well, thank you for helping community and supporting those who are having difficulty and who need support. So thank you for doing that. So my last question for you, Sarah, is if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom today, what would they be? So I, um, I would say that think about and make it intentional about who you're listening to and why you're listening to them and the impact of listening to them that will have on your life, not just a day from today, five years, 10 years, you know, think about why you're listening to somebody and really what that can do to your life. Because there's a lot of information out there today and I believe that it's very important that we are selective on who we listen to because it will influence you and it will set you on a trajectory in your life. And we don't realize it, that that advice really will stick in our hearts and our minds. And it will be sometimes subconsciously a part of why we make certain decisions. And so what I've learned over the years is that 
I have had to be very selective on who I listen to and also understand why I'm listening to them. Because it's not that all the information is bad. It's just, does this make sense for me to be listening to this and also being able to take the positive, the influence from it and to be able to materialize you know, in my life, to be able to manifest the things that are in my heart to do and what I feel like I'm called to do. So this is why I was so grateful to speak with you because your heart for women and to create a place for them to be able to talk and be in community is so important because I think it's important for us to really talk with women and be able to learn from them and grow with them, but also to be inspired. And there's not always a place for that. And so I just really think that it's important for us to really think through what we are reading, what we're listening to, and really filter to make sure that that is specific to what we know will bring us to the journey that we think that we should experience and that will take us on the path, a clear path to bring forth our uniqueness and our offering to the world. Because I feel like we're all unique and we all have a unique offering to bring. So how we discover that, how we develop that, how we grow that and how we actually implement that and bring that into fruition has a lot to do with who you're listening to. I love those words of wisdom. They're very important and impacting. So thank you so much for being on the Core Women podcast with me today, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. If you'd like to know more about Sarah Patterson, please follow her at www.valueintegrators.com and on Twitter and LinkedIn. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women and please stay tuned for continued growth of the core women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.